Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Lytragia podcast. On this episode, our associate director, Ashley Skinner, had a chance to sit down with Dr. Glenn Packiam, a pastor, author, speaker, theologian, and songwriter, who shares a bit of his thoughts on the church, youth, and worship. We're excited to welcome Dr. Packiam as one of our presenters for this year's cohort. We were so blessed by our time to talk with him, and I know you will be as well. All right. Well, hi, Glenn. Thanks so much for uh, joining me today and taking some time to share about your life and your work. And uh, we're so excited to have you as a presenter for Light Torgia next year. And uh, I think our students and participants are going to be so blessed uh, from learning from you. So we're just excited to get to know you a little bit today. Thank you, Ashley. Great to be chatting with you today. Um, Well, why don't you just tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Tell us about your work. Like, what's your role, and how long have you been in it? And sure. what uh, what do you love about the work that you get to do? <laughs> so many things. I um, I work at a church in Colorado Springs called uh, New Life Church. The church itself is about thirty five years old, and I've been on staff for twenty of those years, which is kind of crazy. Um, I started out as my first year here was as an apprentice in the worship ministry. Excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, I was I was kind of apprenticing to the worship pastor and helping, you know, with worship ministry. And then I came on staff uh, full time the following year, and uh, basically continued to to do worship ministry stuff. Helped with our college ministry, worked with the college students as the worship leader, but also you know leading small groups, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then about nine years into that, um, we started a Sunday evening service that I was teaching and pastoring. Um, and then, uh, and then that launched us a, a, a few years after that into our first congregation. So we're a church, instead of thinking of campuses, we, we call them congregations because everything's live and everything's contextualized to each, um, area. So, uh, we, we launched our first offsite congregation called new life downtown. This was back in 2012. Uh, I still serve as the lead pastor for that preach, uh, very often there, but now I also serve as associate senior pastor, uh, for the church, um, at large. So I help oversee all of our various congregations, help coach the various congregation pastors. We now have seven different congregations, uh, five English language, one Spanish language, one Mandarin uh, language. So uh, it's, it's wonderful. And I think the funnest part about it is really working with amazing people, working with great leaders and, and uh, that we don't, we don't micromanage. We try to, we try to work like a chaotic, creative uh, organization. (laughs) Most of the time, it keeps things interesting. <laughs> yes, chaotic, creative organization. I, I love that. I mean, what a what a fitting way to describe the church. <laughs> right, right. Uh, because that is what it feels like. Um, do you still have some touch points with, I mean, you said you started by doing worship leading and stuff like that. Do you still get to um, be involved pretty heavily in that or even in little places? Yeah, I mean, in small ways. I don't do much on on the music side of things anymore, um, but I do oversee the guy who oversees the worship team uh, for all the different congregations. So I have great relationships with the various worship leaders, worship pastors, and uh, great rapport, great chemistry. And so we're, we're always, I'm involved in a lot of the, you know, kicking around conversations and ideas, but I'm not on the platform leading uh, music or worship in, in that way. Yeah. Well, and I think like we both know, right. Worship is so much more than just like what happens musically, you know, 
Um, so it's awesome to have a bigger picture than that. And then yeah. also be able to funnel that through what is happening musically too. Yeah, so. for sure. It, it is great. You're absolutely right. I mean, it is more than the music piece. It, it goes into the whole design of the service as a whole. And so it's fun because we're all kind of involved in different pieces of that same conversation. Yeah. Give me, give me an example of that. Um, for someone who maybe just heard worship isn't just the music. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Well, I, I think every time the people of God come together in, in this way, when we think of what the church does, it is to be at worship. It is to worship. And uh, included in that is the fellowship with one another. Included in that is the proclamation of the scriptures. Included in mm -hmm. that is the coming to the table, which, by the way, I miss so yes. much. Oh. We, we're, we're a non-denominational church that practices weekly communion and have done for over 10 years and it, we're aching for it you know it's so yeah. hard um so but all of those things that we do uh, together before the lord by the power of the spirit uh that that's that's the big under the big heading of of worship you know so we're meeting with god and he's speaking to us and there's this sort of dialogue that happens in a worship service so we don't ever want to think of it as just uh, the songs that we sing, it is also how the word of God speaks back to us. It is also how Jesus hosts us at his table, so to speak. Right. So we are an active participant in the experience of worship and not just yes. a, a consumer of something that's happening in front of us. Exactly. And again, that's what makes the part of the season during COVID uh, so difficult because yeah. online church, it's, it, it is reducing us to the most um, presentational aspects of a, of a worship service where uh, it, it could only confirm our worst tendencies, you know, or affirm our worst tendencies to be consumers. So we're all trying to find ways to make it interactive and, and you know, all yeah. that, but yeah. Oh, and I would say even for me, and maybe you experience this too, pastorally, that's so exhausting because it's bringing out the worst parts of my desires to produce something excellent, perhaps not for the right reasons but yeah. because I know people are going to be watching it on their TVs in their living room. Well, it frames their expectations differently. You know, I mean, we, there's, there's a lot of discussion about this, the way you, I mean, consume a media or the way you interact with something is framed by the container that it's in. And so, yeah, you're right. When people are watching on TV, you, all of a sudden you feel like, gosh, maybe this needs to be TV quality yeah. production or whatever. And I am just not a person who's capable of, <laughs> I'm not a TV director, so right, it's right. not in my wheelhouse. Well, you've kind of brought up uh, how strange and different things are for the church right now in the midst of COVID. I mean, what has life, what has life been like for you in this season? What's been different? Uh, what's been hard? Is there anything that's been good or refreshing? Yeah, I mean, I think initially there's definitely like a surge of adrenaline to say, okay, let's adapt, let's invent, and you feel kind of the the burst of that. I'm a big West Wing fan, so I was joking. <laughs> Me too, oh my gosh, love it. <laughs> I felt like we were, you know, we were Josh Lyman and Toby Ziegler <laughs> running around, okay, let's do this, okay, we, you know. But, but with but emails instead of pieces of paper <laughs> we're handing to each other. Exactly. No walk and talks in the hallway, just Zoom <laughs> meetings. Um, but but you know like everyone else around the country very quickly that adrenaline surge wears off and you realize gosh there there really some are some underlying um uh anxieties some underlying mm -hmm. griefs you know and i and i think so there's several layers of this one on the personal side it's really important for us as church leaders or just as christians 
uh, to be able to name the, the things that are happening at a deeper level in our soul yeah. to say, God, actually, I am dealing with some worry or some anxiety mm -hmm. or I'm dealing with some anger or some, some you know, uncertainty here or some sadness about the things we have lost. So it's been helpful for us to take the time to be able to explore that in ourselves and to give people permission to do that. So uh, while we're trying to inspire hope as we're communicating to people, we're also giving them permission to lament and to say, yeah, this isn't, this is sad and this is difficult. Um, so we, we, we have learned to try to do a number of different things. You know, we've got, we do have the online services, but we're also trying to leverage different technologies. So we're using zoom as a kind of digital lobby on, uh, on our weekend services. So after the broadcast, so to speak, is over, we invite people to log on to Zoom so we can see one another's faces, pray for each other. We use the breakout room feature in yeah. Zoom. So it gives some semblance of that, like you said, an active participant where um, we're saying, hey, how was that service for you? What did Jesus, uh, you know, how did the Lord meet you today? Uh, how can we pray for you? And so there's a little bit of back and forth that goes beyond the Facebook chat um, um, during a, a Facebook live, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but the other piece, the other piece that has been really fun is we've always kind of wanted to dabble with the idea of morning prayer, mm. but it's so hard and you think, Oh, let's invite people to a building for 8am morning prayer. Who's going to do that? Well, we started doing morning prayer with a closed Facebook group of our new life downtown congregants. And it's like 15, 20 minutes in the weekdays, just pray through the book of Psalms and man, that has been so refreshing and so beautiful. So there've been some gifts in it where it's, it's spurred some creativity. And as a result, I've gotten, you know, three or four emails just in the last week or so where people have said, in a strange way, I feel more connected now uh, than before. So. It's amazing the way it's uh, stretching our imagination of what we can do. Um, we were talking about with our young adults that our young adults group was having people come um, from people all over the country who could yeah. just join the Zoom meeting. And we thought, how come we didn't once a month think that we could just check in with our college students in this way? Hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really true. So there's been kind of the leveraging of high tech tools, but then there's also been the recovery of old tech, if you will. You know, I mean, our, our kids ministry teams writing cards to every kid saying, we miss having you in class uh, on Sundays. There, people are doing, you know, drive ups. I just heard today that uh, we, we've made visits to, to probably about a thousand families in the greater kind of new life, to, you know, um, with, with signs and balloons and just to say we miss you showing up on people's driveways. So stuff like that has been really meaningful. And then, of course, there's all of the outreach type stuff, which loads of churches are doing grocery deliveries and uh, sewing masks. And, you know, so the, the, the creativity of the church, not just in connecting with one another, but in caring for our community uh, has been really beautiful to watch. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Well, I want to take the opportunity for us to learn a little bit more about you. I, we talked about kind of your role now, but um, tell us about how you came to faith. Yeah. Uh, what was that yeah. experience life like for you and when did that happen? So I'm originally from Malaysia, and um, my parents came to faith in, in adulthood. My mom was raised kind of nominally as a Christian uh, in Singapore, actually, um, comes from an Anglican background, and it was there. The faith was, 
it was more cultural for her and her family. And my dad, though, was raised Hindu. Mm. Uh, and they met at the University of Singapore. And he basically converted because my mom wouldn't marry a Hindu. And so early on in their marriage, they were both sort of just, yeah, let's just go to church and do the thing. But it didn't really have much bearing on their life. But by the time they had kids, so I have one older sister. So by the time my sister and I came along, they were starting to have an awakening in their own faith. And so I, my memories are of growing up in a home in which uh, faith was really vibrant and, and a real part of their lives. I had the privilege of being part of a great church in Malaysia, uh, one where they really allowed young people to be involved in, in leading each other. So I was part of a youth group where as a 13-year-old kid, I was helping to lead worship. And, you know, yeah. as I got a little bit older, was able to help, you know, 16 or 17 was was invited to give the sermon one, one week. And that was just normal. It was very, um, it, it was very encouraging to creativity. I learned to songwrite in those years. I mm-hmm. learned to um, you know, learn to lead worship, learn to preach, learn, learn to do a lot of things in those high school years in, in that youth group. Um, and then I moved from Malaysia to um, the States to go to college um, right before I turned 18. We had moved to the States once prior to that. When I was 10, my parents went to a Bible school in the Northwest, actually, in Portland. Um, so we lived in Portland for three years, 88 to 91, then back to Malaysia, my high school years there. And then I came back uh, to go to college in Oklahoma. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, that experience that you talk about, about being a young person in the church that the church empowers and lifts up, it's so interesting to see that those are the types of things that I feel like we are, um, I don't want to say fighting for, but it kind of feels like we're fighting for churches to do that and to see their young people in that way uh, today. But it's things that the church just naturally has done in history and in also in different places. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that this thing that feels so opposite, what we're, what we are seeing happening in some churches is something that just naturally has happened in churches throughout time. It's really true. And I wonder sometimes if this is the ugly unintended consequence of our, the more excellent we've gotten at things like, you know, worship music and worship leading. I mean, when I, began you know me and and some of my colleagues here at new life we were we started a, a band called the desperation band and we did some albums and all that with integrity music and 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 those were early days those were days like right after you know the band delirious had come on and, and hillsong <laughs> united and all of that and it was still like worship music was still kind of this fringe thing i remember we would go and play some of these festivals like creation or whatever yeah. and the worship band quote unquote was always given the 8 a.m slot like the, you know the slot that nobody wanted and uh, now it's the opposite right you have kind of these headliner worship artists and all of that and I, there's a part of me that's very grateful for that it's wonderful to see um, better songs and wonderful songs and, and great uh, you know talent but the ugly unintended consequence of that is it can make this the domain of professionals. And so then when you have a young person who wants to learn and lead worship, we're like, well, you don't sound like the album, so maybe you can't. And yeah, so we've got to find a way to hold those things in tension, excellence and accessibility. And I think uh, for young people who have, whose lives are being pulled in so many different directions and who sometimes don't have the time to commit to something that we're saying, oh, well, this is a professional thing. You have to be able to commit a certain amount of time Uh, in order to do this, then we really miss an opportunity to wrap them into the body of believers and, and, and help them see like, wow, there is something beautiful about being involved in the church. Uh, 
if they never have that opportunity to see it in a smaller way than the expectation that they might get involved in a bigger way, I think we lose that opportunity. That's so true. It's a, it's a great point, actually. And there's been so much, you know, work on that, that what helps, you know, faith kind of become resilient is when they get the chance to, to be integrated into the larger kind of world of the church uh, beyond just their own age group and learning to serve with and be mentored by. And so, yeah, that that's the other part of it is <laughs> participation is not just about, um, you know, what the young person can contribute, but it's really a, a form of discipleship. How can they be discipled by allowing to participate and contribute? And I think it's, absolutely believing that we receive something as the church through the participation um, of young people. I think that young people teach us to see who God is and um, God's word in, in such different ways that we maybe saw at one point in our lives and, and forgot about. And we really need that uh, passionate presence in our church. Uh, uh, and I think they reveal some of that to us and we miss something when we, when they aren't involved in worship leading. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Well, you were very involved in your church as a, as a young person. Were there adults or leaders who you remember who were encouraging to your work and what were some of the things they said or did to help you use, utilize your gifts and kind of learn some of your gifts uh, for the church? I have a deep affection in my heart for uh, my youth leaders of that of that time. In fact, one of them is now serving uh, in a church in Australia, and he Facebook messaged me the, the other day, and and I just told him I said, Pastor Mike, you made such a huge impression on me. You 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 know you took time. Um, there were I, I can think of times of going to do activities, um, uh, soccer games at the park and uh, arcade games, whatever. And uh, so there was stuff outside kind of the, the, the realm of the church. And I think it's, it's really huge uh, to have these kind of older voices in your life that take an interest in you beyond, beyond where you fit in the machinery of the church. Okay? Mm. So I, and maybe that's language that only applies to kind of big church world or whatever, but it's mm -hmm. easy to kind of think of young people as, okay, let's, let's fit you in and this is where you can serve and this is where you fit. And that's great. That, that's fine. But do you also show up in their worlds? Do you also show up and in, in, in care about their lives? And I'm grateful to have had uh, youth leaders, um, one of whom was my piano teacher. His name was Rocky. And he taught me how to play by ear and improvise. And, but we would also, you know, again, we were all part of a pickup game of, of, of soccer on the weekends. <laughs> and so stuff like that, where your, your, your points of interaction are beyond just the, the quote unquote sacred space of the church. But they're, they're showing up in your world as much as you're showing up in theirs. Yeah. I mean, um, I was able to do youth ministry for a while, and that is just such an important, I mean, it's important for students to recognize that you are more than just, <laughs> you're more than just, yeah, someone that fits into a structure. And I think so often when we think about how students fit into a structure, we think, well, students could volunteer in the children's ministry or right. students can help stack the chairs after church, right. <laughs> you know, but one, seeing them as a bigger piece of the picture, and then two, also more than just what happens in the church is such an important point uh, for us to, to think about. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the things that, I mean, can you think of something that someone said or did that, that made you realize like, oh, I, I think I actually want to 
continue ministry in the church? I mean, was that a decision you made when you were in high school or did that come later? Uh, I think it was during my high school years where I began to sort of discern that there was a call for me toward uh, vocational ministry. And, you know, obviously every Christian is called to, to ministry in some sense, but through the local church. And I do remember, so I was 13. We had just returned back to Malaysia after living in, in America for three years. And uh, uh, I was starting to take piano lessons and, and wanted to, you know, improve my voice and all this stuff. And there was a gal who was, she was probably at the time 16 or 17. And she was, so she was in high school, but she was in charge of kind of the, the junior high youth group or whatever. You know, we, we called it something different grades work a little differently in Malaysia. But anyway, she said, Hey, would you like to, would you consider uh, leading worship? And she gave me a date, like maybe two months from now uh, for the junior high. And I, I remember I, I said to her right away, I was like, no, no, I just don't think that's my calling. Uh, you know, which, what did I know about my calling? I was 13, you know? Um, but, but I, at the time was definitely more interested in kind of Bible study and teaching and all that. And she said, well, just give it a try. Why don't you just try it once? And see what happens. And I, th- there's really such a beautiful uh, wisdom or, or, or gift in that persistence, even in her persistence with me, because what we don't understand is, is or what we forget sometimes when we when we get older, is how fragile your sense of self and your sense of confidence mm. is in your teenage years. And so you you easily want to foreclose the possibilities of who you might be and who you might become. Mm. So oh no 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 I I can't do that and I'm not that instead of recognizing that actually, you know, there's a lot of fluidity to, to your sense of vocation and your sense of calling. So your teen years, even into your 20s, for goodness sake, you know, th- those are years to just try a few different things, like, like, like test out the limits of your gifts, test out the, 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 the depth of your passion for certain things. So um, her willingness to say, just why don't you give it a try? I found that I, for weeks leading up to it, I couldn't stop thinking about like different set lists and I was putting together different songs and what kind of medley of song, you know, and that's when I realized, I think I do kind of like this. I think I do want to do this. By the time so. it came up, you had a year planned out. Of yeah. Right. Things that you put together. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to connect two things you just said, two things you've said, because they seem really important, right? Like you're talking about how, when we have this desire for perfection and excellence, we don't create space uh, for maybe students. But I think what you also just said is, we lose the opportunity for them to be able to try things out and try to say, I might not be perfect at this, I might not be the best at this, but but can I try it? Can I see? Um, can I learn more about who I am? and what God might be calling me to do because I am 13 and I have, I don't know what I'm talking about when I say I'm called to something. Um, Yeah. What a beautiful space that was created for you to be able to just try on different possibilities of who you could be in, in the future, but also in that moment. Right. Right. And that's a good link between those two, two things, Ashley. And, you know, as I think about it, even into my early thirties, the situation in New Life, where I was making the transition from being a worship leader to being a you know a teaching pastor, the Sunday night service was a risk that our senior pastor Brady Boyd took on on me. You know, so so that that's that's another kind of safe space where you said, well, I do see this calling in you, and I at the time we were talking about should I go plant a church or whatever, and instead of rushing me out the door to say, oh, you want to leave? Well, why don't you go plant a church right now? Then you know, he said, well, you know, if you've got a couple of years. 
what if you started a service here on Sunday nights? You could run it like it's your own. And what he was doing was, A, giving me the chance to develop, and, and, and secondly, giving me a safe space to fail. Because yeah. if it totally bombed, what's the big deal? It was a Sunday night service. Who cares? You know, So part, it's not that we have to have a low standard of excellence across the board all over the church. It's just that we need to create a few places where it's safe to be messy, safe to fail, uh, and it's okay. So maybe you don't give the young person the main Wednesday night service, but is there something else? Is there, a, is there a home group? Is there a place where they can step out and bring their guitar and try leading a couple songs and see what happens? Yeah. Um, those are, it's, it's so important to think in differentiated spaces um, where we can give people a chance. Yeah. How do you, um, and maybe, well, we'll see what you say. How do you help the church body to see this, right? That, I mean, this is something that maybe we can understand as church leaders and try to create space for. How do you start to transform how the body sees the uplifting of youth as something that's good, even if not, if it's not perfect? Yeah, that's, I, I realize that in some settings that that's really the challenge where it's the people in the congregation that are not wanting to kind of let uh, younger people have a go, you know, um, and I think I think in those settings it is important to to speak to them about uh, ab about legacy, about how one generation needs to make room for the next to rise up and sing the praises of God, and, and I mean just very practically to help the church understand. In order to grow old, you just do nothing. You know, it's going to happen if yeah. we all stick around. But to grow young requires intentionality. You have to do that on purpose. You have to make room. Uh, for someone else. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is to maybe understand that sometimes um, what people, you know, are closed about is not really because of theological or philosophical reasons. It might actually be because of their own fear of, am I being displaced? Is my time over? Am I, am I being put out to pasture? And so we also have to get better. I mean, we talk about young people. We also have to get better at saying, the, the, there's a dignity in the place for the sages and the elders yeah. in our church community to say, here's what your role uh, is. It's to continue to invest and impart and, 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 uh, and all of that. So it's not a zero sum game where we right. say, bring in the young people and you get out of the picture. It's how can we fill out, uh, you know, so that God really is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got right. multiple generations represented here. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, reading through first john right now and there's that spot in right in chapter two where he addresses the fathers and then he addresses the young people and he addresses the children and we can say many different things about you know who he's really addressing but in part he's addressing different people in different ways in the different places uh that they find themselves in life but seeing them as connected as part of the body and i think that that's such a a good reminder too for our young people that yeah sometimes young people, we can get the idea that we know best. You're <laughs> um, right, right, right. And uh, there are people who have very much wisdom to give us and, and to help us kind of. I mean, this, it, yeah, it, it's a bit of a simplification maybe, but it is, we're looking for the marriage of wisdom and zeal, you know, yeah. where if young people realize I might be, you know, long on zeal, but short on wisdom. And, and maybe for, for people as, as, as they're aging, you might be like, you know, I just don't have the heart to try some new, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, impart your wisdom to the ones who do 
do have the energy to try something new. Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds like a perfect explanation of what happened with you in the Sunday night surface, right? Like, you're excited, you have the energy, you're ready, and you're given an opportunity that is a wise opportunity that you might not have come up with on your own. Yeah, exactly right. Well, tell us a little bit, I mean, either when you were younger, uh, even in your college years, were there ways that you were able to use your gifts beyond um, the church, like a way that the church empowered you to use your gifts out in the community or Mm -hmm. just kind of as you started forming a more holistic understanding of your identity and who you were? Mm Yeah, I mean, several places for sure. I mean, our church did outreach stuff when I was growing up. And so we were able to take music beyond the walls of the church. We, I remember once I, uh, we did, several, several of us collaborated on a pro- project where we, um, you know, rearranged some Christmas songs and did them in a shopping mall, you know, in, in Malaysia. But I, I think about my college years. I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we would always have these summer kind of music mission trips, you know, so... Uh, they were longer trips in those years. And so we did, I think it was like a month overseas and then a month in various places in the U S. So you learned a lot about, uh, about how to, uh, you know, function in different modes and show up in different contexts and, you know, be ready at the drop of a hat to share the little message for the, for the night. And so those were, those were all again, stretching experiences and in, in a variety of different contexts. So, you know, for, for young people, you, you, you have passions and you have abilities, but, but what you want to keep adding to is you want to add some experience and you want to add some knowledge to that. So, so you know, you're, I was excited about music and I had some talent, but I, I hadn't been very seasoned. So I, the ability to get different kinds of experiences of both preaching and, uh, and, and uh, you know, leading worship, playing music helped uh, help me add to that, you know, um, and, and I think it's really important that, that we find ways to act on it here and now rather than just waiting for uh, the great someday or till when conditions are ideal, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe for a lot of us when we're young, we, we kind of think, well, I've got this passion and I've got these talents, but I'm going to save it for just the perfect context and then I'll unleash the beast, you know? <laughs> Instead of saying, well, but how can you express that gift now? Yeah. recognizing that in any time you exercise that gift, uh, you're going to gain something from it. You're going to gain some experience. You're going to gain some knowledge uh, from, from using it. Yeah. And I would say, even if you don't go into vocational ministry for young people, those experiences are still so important. And I think that that's why I highlight, you know, that the church is also helping young people shape their identity and more than just their identity of who they are in the church. Yes. Uh, but who they are holistically, which I think you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so giving them opportunity to test out some of these giftings and possibilities is not just so that they might minister professionally to the church, but so that they see this as a, a key part of who they are and their life uh, beyond the church walls. Yeah, it's it's discipleship. It's, it's training them to be followers of Jesus wherever they go. And, and you're absolutely right. Our gifts are not as context specific as we sometimes think, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, okay, you have a musical gift. Does that mean it only works to be a worship leader? No, it can show up in yeah. lots of different ways. And so, yeah, cultivating that imagination, helping them imagine new contexts for these gifts is also part of the work of discipleship and formation. 
And I think for us as worship or as church leaders and worship leaders who are mentoring young people, there's uh, such a value in being able to say it is not a failure if you don't go and serve the church professionally. Man, that's huge, Ashley. You're so right. <laughs> uh, we we unintentionally, speaking of you know more unintended consequences, we we unintentionally sort of hold up uh, the people that go from youth group to being a youth pastor, and it's like, well, hang on on now. We want missionaries in every sphere yeah. of the world, in every sphere of culture. Uh, so you're you're absolutely right, and we we we've got to think that way for sure. I think that's why what you said earlier about being involved in the lives of students outside of the church is so important because then we see them as, like you said, more than just what happens in the church. And we can identify how maybe some of the gifts and callings that we've seen in them in the church can also work and operate uh, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun for me to think about some of my friends from that youth group and where they are. I mean, uh, you know, one of them's a doctor, one of them's, you know, and some of them I've lost track of, but I'm thinking even of some of my college mates that we would do some of this music stuff. And the majority of us are not working for churches or doing vocational ministry. We're, we're, we're some of our engineers, some are running dance studios, some, you know, but that kind of leadership development, if you will, that they gained in those years mm -hmm. shows up. It shows up in the workforce. It shows up wherever they're, shows up in the homes, yeah. uh, in, in the care of children, all of that. So, uh, we 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 do want to be um, to kind of have the, the the long game in mind when we're we're thinking about this with young people that it's not just uh, the narrow thing of okay I'm doing this so that you can be the next worship leader for our youth group uh, it may be that you're preparing them and in fact this is part of the commitment for church leaders to realize that we are the odds are we are investing in people that someone else will benefit from somewhere mm -hmm. else. You know, even if they go into church ministry, exactly. We're sowing them into other parts of the world and that's the way it should be. Yeah. I think with young people, one thing that's dawning in my mind right now is they're given those opportunities in so many other places, right? At school and on their sports teams and different places where they live their lives. And so if they don't have those opportunities in church, I think that's one of the ways that church becomes really irrelevant for young people. And beyond the church, it becomes a place that when everyone else said that they had gifts and callings and things that they should pursue, uh, maybe the church didn't. That's um, really good. That's really good. And so I guess, I mean, what would you say to a high school student who has creative giftings, but they don't feel like there's space for those giftings in their church? Well, I, I mean, it is, it is really hard. And, and um, I, I would encourage them to, to take a little bit of a bold step and ask uh, their youth leader. Because sometimes, uh, you know, youth leaders, oftentimes, if, if the statistics are true, youth leaders are bivocational. They're juggling several mm -hmm. things at the same time. So they're, they may just not be thinking about how to involve your gifts. Uh, they might just be trying to figure out how to pull off next week's service, you know, and what they're going to share on and all of that. So it, don't be afraid of initiating an idea uh, of saying, hey, I can do this. What would you think about if I painted a thing or if I curated a little art gallery in the lobby or, you know, uh, to go along with this series or to prep something for, you know, um, and hopefully your youth leader will respond positively. Yeah. But but I think, I think it's okay to be bold with that and to not uh, just wait for the invitation because the invitation may not come not because they're not open, 
but just because they just can't keep their head above water, the mm -hmm. youth leader. And, and so, so um, maybe even think about your, your gifts and think about creative ways that they can be used and then be bold in asking. Yeah. What about for um, maybe the youth leader who's saying, I want to start figuring out ways to implement youth into the greater life of our congregation. And I mean, whether they receive pushback or not on that, I mean, what are some first steps they could take or some uh, routes they could pursue that would be low risk to start out? I mean, one of the easiest ways to do it is to just have a couple nights of the year, a couple times of the year where it's a, a youth by youth kind of thing or, you know, student ministries led by students. So you set the expectations for that and you say, mm -hmm. this is a night where it's going to, everything's going to be student led and student preaching and student, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and you even do it a little bit, maybe a little bit Ted talk ish where you have three or four people give a short little message. Yeah. You have a couple of different ones do a song or two. So you've depressurized the situation because you've changed the rules of the context, so to speak, by, by framing it as uh, that kind of night. Um, in addition to that, you could find ways to do it, you know, if you're doing youth retreats or day retreats or whatever, um, where you, you give away the morning Devo or the morning worship time or, or the uh, activity times. Hey, why don't you take the lead on the activity this afternoon or something? Mm -hmm. So simple ways to give away leadership that, that are in these exceptional sort of moments, exceptional sort of settings. Um, so the rules are, and expectations are looser anyway. Uh, and then if that goes well, then you start working it into a regular thing. But but I think sometimes we think too much in all or nothing kind of ways. Well, I can't have youth leading every week. Well, sure. But could you do it once a semester? Maybe. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's so interesting because youth want, I mean, I feel like youth want their friends to succeed and they yeah. want to see other yeah. students succeeding. I mean, there's yes. been so many times where I'll have a student leading and they'll say something that I swear I have said a thousand times and the other students will come away and be like, wow, did you hear what? that person said, I mean, that was just amazing truth. And gosh, God was just speaking. I'll be like, I have been saying that forever. <laughs> it is true. There's a kind of solidarity there. They want to cheer on their people, which is great. And that's why I think it really is going to be more of a win than it is a risk because, because, you know, A, it's an opportunity for you to connect with them and say, hey, share, share your notes with me. What are you thinking about sharing? And then, you know, go easy on them. Don't be rough on them with it. But they, maybe they invite you into the process of what they're planning for the activity or the song or the, what, or the sermon. But, yeah, you're right. Young people on the receiving end, the, the, you know, all indications are they'll love it. Yeah. I mean, I actually find that it's sometimes harder with adults to help them move beyond it seeming like it's, for lack of a better word, like cute when a youth yeah. is leading something and actually to say like, no, we actually think that the Lord is working in this moment and speaking and could be speaking very much to us as adults. Yes. Um, yeah, so. that that is harder when you try to do like a young person on a Sunday morning as like a youth Sunday or whatever. That, that can feel a little token and then... Oh, it's so precious, you know, the adults mm -hmm. say, nah, I, we would, you, you know, you definitely would want to avoid that kind of uh, vibe. I don't think you want to frame it that way. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Yeah, definitely. I think that the more often the adults are exposed to it, the, the, the more they're actually able to see, oh, wait, this could be the Lord working. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, I kind of have one last question and it's a big one, but um, feel free to answer however you'd like. Why, why does the church matter? It's a great question. And I understand why for, for many, many people, not just young people, uh, that's a question that they would have in their hearts, even if they don't ever voice it. Why, why does the church matter? Uh, is this just some club or organization? Do they just want my money? Do they need, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't need it to have a relationship with Jesus, you know, all of that. And I think the first thing we have to realize is that the, the, the church is a kingdom community. So if we're going to live with allegiance to King Jesus, we need to live in a community that his reign has formed. So think of it this way, um, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I for, switched from having a green card to becoming a, a citizen. My parents moved here seven years ago. They uh, switched over to having citizenship. When you become a, a citizen of a country, you're pledging your allegiance to uh, a country, a set of ideals, but also to a group of people. You are, uh, you are now saying, I belong to my fellow Americans. Uh, you, you're, you're part of a group. So allegiance works not just between, it's not just between you and the king. The allegiance works between you and a company of citizens. It, 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 you, you become a new people. And so Jesus, you know, sometimes people say rather um, callously, well, Jesus didn't start a church. Jesus announced the arrival of the kingdom, but the people who believed that announcement went ahead and lived that out in community. So the reality of following Jesus uh, has to be lived out in community. Any of the fruit of the spirit, uh, th those are not solo efforts, love, joy, peace, yeah. patience. We, we don't produce or test those fruit uh, on our own. Mm -hmm. And so then maybe the pushback is, well, okay, well, what if I just have me and my friends? Why can't I just have a group of my closest friends? We can be the church. The trouble with that is early on in Christian history in the New Testament itself, there were conflicts because people wanted other people to not be part of this. And mm -hmm. for them, it was Jews and Gentiles, and there were other divisions, but that was the main one. And they, there was some form of, let's draw the line here. And the proclaimers of the gospel, Paul, Peter, and the others, began to say, if you follow King Jesus, then you have to be willing to call your brother and call your sister mm -hmm. people that you wouldn't have chosen. So to say it simply, church needs to be a group of people that you would choose and a group of people that you wouldn't choose. Yeah. And it needs to be that group together. And that's how the kingdom values, the kingdom ethics gets worked out in us. Kingdom ethics gets worked out in a kingdom community. And that's how kingdom mission then gets accomplished. So it never is a solo thing. Now, it, it, it is a local church the perfect uh, you know, embodiment <laughs> of the kingdom of Jesus? No, absolutely not. Um, but it is absolutely the context where we practice patience and forgiveness and reconciliation and all of those things as we stay committed to one another because of our love for King Jesus. Yeah. Wow. That is so good and such a good reminder of why it's so important to be in community together and also part of why it's been so hard in this time to not be able to gather in that community together. I mean, I feel like this time of having to be separated has highlighted how important the church is for me more than um, probably any other time in my life that yeah. I can remember. Yeah, same. I'm with you. Well, Glenn, it's been such a pleasure to get to chat with you today. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention, you had a book come out in this last year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. August of 
Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I've been making my way through it. So the story you told about your family coming to Portland, uh, <laughs> I, I read that in your book. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, Blessed, Broken, Given came out last year. And it, um, it's really about kind of seeing our lives as the bread in Jesus's hands that he blesses and breaks and gives. It's a retelling, if you will, of the big gospel story, but through yeah. the lens of this bread. Um, so, yeah, glad you're, thanks for reading it. Glad you're. Yeah, of course. And as I was reading it, and um, even in this past week, thinking about our conversation, I was thinking, this is just such a great resource for the church and also a really great resource for students to think about um, their life and the story of the gospel and, and what their life could mean uh, with the truth of who Jesus is. So what a blessing and a gift that you've given to the church through your work. Look, if Jesus can take something as common and ordinary as, as bread and, uh, and, and use it to speak of something extraordinary like his own uh, saving death on the cross, then surely he can use our lives as uh, vessels of his grace and glory. Yeah, a beautiful, beautiful message for everyone across the board. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, virtually. Uh, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, we will talk again soon and look forward to having you uh, with us for the uh, Light Regia project next year. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Pacquiam and invite you to check out our website at liturgiaproject.com. That's L-E-I-T-O-U-R-G-I-A project.com. We'll be rolling out more interviews with our other presenters, so be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Most of all, We hope these conversations encourage you as we seek to disciple the next generation of worship leaders. My name is Matt Sigler. Thanks so much for listening.